0: to the i want to know podcast i'm josh specter and i am your host if you don't know who I am, I'm the creator of the For The Interested newsletter, which you can check out at ForTheInterested.com. It is a one-paragraph newsletter, yes, that's right, one paragraph, that helps you grow your audience in business. If you're new here, this podcast exists to help creative entrepreneurs get their questions answered. Here's how it works. Each episode, a different guest comes on and asks me three questions. We have about a 10-minute conversation about each, and hopefully I provide some good advice to them and you. No flaw lots of actionable tips that you can put to use. Today, my guest is Jay Johnson. Jay is a former collegiate and professional running coach who now serves high school cross country and track coaches through digital courses and an annual conference in Boulder, Colorado. He's the author of Consistency is Key, 15 ways to unlock your potential as a high school runner, which has sold over 13,000 copies. Jay also writes a weekly email to 8,000 high school coaches which you can learn about and sign up for at coachjjohnson.com. and you can follow him at Coach J Johnson on Twitter and Instagram. So, with that in mind, hey Jay, welcome to the show. It is great to have this
1: opportunity. I'm a big fan of. I've been listening to these episodes, so I hope I'm as. I hope my questions are
0: useful to everyone who's tuning in. I, I'm sure they. I'm sure they will be, and I hope I. Sh- I hope I can live up to uh, what you've heard previously. So let's jump right into it. What is the first thing that you want to know?
1: My, my business is driven by a newsletter. It's a newsletter specifically to high school coaches. They coach cross country in the fall, track in the spring. And it's, it's, it's a question now of I don't have any SEO. I, I, I don't have articles from my website mm-hmm. going and in, feeding into this news list in a normal funnel. Actually, I actually have 20,000 YouTube subscribers. Mm-hmm. Like that's from videos that are a decade old and those were more for high school, or excuse me, those were for adult runners. And what I'd like to do now is you make an SEO article on a topic, make a video for it, and have that drive people just to a normal funnel to get into mm-hmm. the newsletter. But I don't know if if that's something you would do and and then the other thing to make it a little more messy is chat g p t where we're, we're talking mm-hmm. but in april two thousand twenty three I don't know if you think j you know s c o is 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 something that's that's going to die.
0: So let's tackle chat GPT second. Let's start with sort of the first part of this, which I think is is really, and sort of zooming out, you're really asking a content distribution question. So you're creating these things. You've got various platforms, which I think is very common for everybody, right? You've got a website. You've got a newsletter. You've got YouTube. You're like, I have this idea for a thing. What do I do with it? Where do I put it? Do I put it everywhere? Do I only put it in certain places? What's the order in which I put it in? to what degree do I pay attention to search and optimizing for that and and all of that. So I would start here again from a very zoomed out level. The The goal of content distribution is to make your content as easy to access and share as possible for your audience. It's not to force people to do what you want them to do. And that seems obvious, but I think lots of people don't do that. They're optimizing for, I want to optimize for people to subscribe to my newsletter. So I'm not going to put the stuff in my newsletter on my website, or I want to optimize for search engines. So I'm only going to put it here and I'm not going to put it there and I'm not going to do X, Y, and Z, or I want traffic to my website. So on Twitter, I'm just going to put a link and make them go read it. I'm not going to post the content natively on Twitter because I'm trying to do this. So I think in general, you always want to start with what can I do to make this content, whatever format it's in, as easy as possible for my audience to access and as easy for them to share. All the other stuff that you want, is secondary to that, in my opinion. If you look at it from a sort of audience first perspective, what you're trying to do is you're trying to remove obstacles that prevent people from accessing it and sharing it. Because the more obstacles there are, the less likely they are to read it, the less likely they are to share it. So I'll give you, there's a million, and by the way, there's no one right or wrong way to do it. But I think from a mindset, I think if you start with that as the overall goal, it helps you answer all the other questions.
1: Well, I, and, and Josh, I want to hop in yeah. for one second because you're the person who in the last month or two has convinced me, no lead magnets, share your best stuff for free. And even, but since that I had this opportunity to talk to you and I still, it's in my mind still that like yeah. I keep something valuable mm-hmm. that you can only get with my email. Like, I don't know why it's just, I've done this for multiple years and it's even my make well, the flip.
0: Yeah. And we're going to get there. Cause I want to talk about, I want to talk about lead magnets as well. So So let's start with the general premise that we're trying to make it easy for people to access and share. Because I think ultimately what's the best for you in the big picture is the more people that access it and share it, the better. That's better for you than trying to force them into, like the truth of the matter is having your articles that are in your newsletter also on your website is going to lead more people to see them, which is ultimately going to lead more people to subscribe to the newsletter versus, hey, I got this great thing, but you can only see it if you subscribe to the newsletter. It's also, from a search perspective, having those articles on your website as opposed to only in people's inboxes creates ways for people to discover you through search, right? No one's discovering you through search if it's buried and if it's just the sort of in people's inboxes. One other note about that going the other direction is one of the reasons why I recommend a lot of times even in the newsletter linking to the article on your site as opposed to having the full article have a short summary or excerpt and then link to it Is because from a sharing perspective on social, if I get something that only lives in my inbox, right? You send me a newsletter, you send me this awesome article, this awesome resource, and I want to share it, and it's not on your website, all I can do is maybe forward it to a couple people in my email. I have no way to really share it on Twitter or social media or anything like that. If it goes to your website, they're sharing buttons. It's much easier for me to then share it that way. I'm never a fan of keeping stuff only in your newsletter, only in people's inbox. Because number one, you miss out on other people being able to find it. And also, it's much easier for them to share from your website and better for you. It's much better for you if they share a link and drive people to your website than they forward your email.
1: And I just, I gotta hop in here. Literally before the call, there's another computer over there. I had my newsletter today Mm -hmm. but I... I didn't set it up because I'm thinking the people who reading my newsletter will be annoyed if they have to click and go to my site to read it. So I'm not trying to push back. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm here because you're the expert, yeah. but but there's this hesitation of I have a loyal fan base and I don't want them
0: to do that extras. There are people that believe that. And by the way, there's no one right way to do that. I'm sharing sort of my personal philosophy, but here's what I think. The idea that they're gonna be annoyed to click and read it, to me means they didn't really wanna read it, they didn't really care about it. The other thing is, when the full article is in your email, you have no way of knowing how interested they were in that topic. The click allows you to measure right oh when I shared this article you can judge open rates but open rates are sort of different than are they actually interested in that article when you force them to click you can go okay 500 people click this article this week and next week a thousand people click that article I now know my audience is more interested in that topic than the other without that click you have no idea. Yeah. You can judge open rates, but like I said, that's a totally different thing. You don't know if they were interested in the topic. or not. So it gives you a very valuable data point, which ultimately helps you give them more of what they're interested in. Yeah. The other thing to keep in mind is when you have a full article in your... When your format of your newsletter is full article, the person getting it knows every time I open it, that's a lot of work. It's gonna be a long article. And I think, I have found from my own own behavior, and I think in general, you're worried about annoying them, making them click to read. I think you're actually serving them because now when they open it in their inbox, they know it's gonna be a short thing, and if they're interested, they'll click. And if they're not, they can they can move on. And I think even if they find the newsletter valuable, they may be less likely to open it because they're like, I don't have time. I don't want to get sucked into Jay's awesome thing right now. I'll open it later. And then they forget to open it.
1: Versus I really had this conversation with somebody at my conference <clears throat> and I've changed my strategy since then, but mm-hmm. I haven't completely changed it. Like I just yeah. shortened the emails. He's like, mm-hmm. he's like, I have a folder with just your emails. Yep. But And they weren't crazy long. I mean, you said something recently in a podcast, like, take your writing, cut it by 20%, you know, Mm -hmm. it makes it better. But man, everything you're saying makes sense.
0: Yeah. And then, so then, so that's sort of the newsletter piece. From an SEO piece, here's what I would say. And I will preface this by saying, I am not an SEO expert. I don't pay that much attention to SEO. It can be incredibly valuable. So I don't mean, I'm not like shitting on SEO. I'm just saying, for me, it's not something that I spend a ton of time and effort on. But what I would say is thinking about for your situation, how important and how much opportunity is there for SEO? Because it's different for every niche and topic. So thinking through, am I writing about the kinds of things that lots of people are searching for? My guess is in your niche, maybe. One of the reasons why I don't pay a lot of attention to SEO is because, While there is some opportunity in my niche, I feel like for the most part, the stuff I'm talking about and doing, there's not a ton of people searching for it. Like I'm not writing about how to fix a faucet and there's a million people going to Google going, how do I fix a faucet? If I'm sharing my own unique approach or system for doing something, nobody's searching for that. Like, yes, people are searching for how to get more newsletter subscribers and whatever. It's still not a massive thing. I would think through for yourself, how important is SEO to me? And to what degree do I want to commit to that and take that, take that into account? The other thing I would say, sort of jumping back to the newsletter piece. Is because I get this question all the time. If I put all the content on my website, then why would people subscribe to my newsletter? Like that's the that's the big fear. I think that fear is understandable, but it's rooted in a in a fundamental misunderstanding of why people subscribe to newsletters. They subscribe to newsletters because they don't want to miss the next thing that you post. And so just because if you put it on your website, I'm subscribing because I don't want to miss the stuff that Jade does. And the newsletter is a essentially a a reminder, a notification that here's the new thing that I posted. So the kind of person that's going to go, I'm not going to subscribe because I can just read it on his website. They didn't really care that much about reading it in the first place. The fear that you're sort of competing or undercutting yourself is not realistic. Right. Because and quite the opposite, right? So you're actually it's actually going to get you more subscribers because now when someone goes to your website, they let's see, somehow they see some article of yours, they wind up on your website and they go, as opposed to everything being hidden in your email, they go, oh, this was a good article. And he wrote this. And he wrote this. I want to make sure I see what this guy does in the future. I'm going to subscribe. Versus they somehow wind up on your website. They see one thing that happens to be there. And you're like, hey, subscribe. And they're like, mm, I don't know. Okay, so ChatGPT, I do think ChatGPT is powerful. I do think all this AI stuff is gonna make a difference and is gonna impact things. I do not think these fears that it's like, I'm never gonna be able to compete with ChatGPT and I'm gonna lose my job and writer. nobody needs writers anymore. I think all of that is super overblown. I think ChatGPT and AI stuff is really a brainstorming tool more so than it is a replacement for anything else. Do I think it's gonna affect search ultimately? Yes, it's gonna affect search ultimately. Do I think that that means that search won't play a role and you should just completely ignore? I would not shy away from doing anything you're gonna do just because chat GPT and AI stuff exists. And as far as YouTube, I do think if you like doing YouTube videos, you sounds like you have an audience, by all means, I think it's worth doing. The other thing to keep in mind that people don't think about YouTube is the second biggest search engine on the planet, right?
1: And in my niche, there are not good videos on it. Yeah. So so I mean I'm learning so much, but I feel like it's it's good to be reminded of the the search engine that I'm not trying to make YouTube videos anymore. When I was younger I liked seeing people follow mm-hmm. and get used. Now it
0: would just be from a business standpoint, is it a good yep. way to communicate information? Yeah, I mean, it, it's the same reason why I did nothing on YouTube before this podcast. When I decided to do a podcast, I was like, it would, in my own personal belief, it'd be idiotic for me not to record these and put them on YouTube. Even though YouTube's a rabbit hole, and by no means am I probably spending the time I should on thumbnails and titles, and like you go down, like it's a whole thing, right? And I'm not doing fancy editing, whatever, but if I'm going to have these conversations, I might as well record them, I might as well put them up there, and it's gonna get whatever. So I would say the same thing could be applied to anything you're doing with your articles, with your whatever. If you have the time, creating a version that goes on YouTube, I I do think is worth it. One thing I would say, if you're gonna essentially repurpose articles and that kind of stuff into into YouTube videos, is I would keep in mind that just because you wrote, let's say, a blog post or a newsletter that was titled this and was X, Y, and Z doesn't mean that you can't tweak it for YouTube. So maybe the YouTube title is more YouTube-friendly. One of the changes I've made with this podcast is I used to put, besides the full episode, I used to put each full question of the three questions up as individual clips. Now I'm not doing that. I'm actually taking just excerpts I'm doing three shorter clips because I realize, yeah, our 10-minute conver- conversation about this topic may be great, but a better YouTube video might be the three minutes where we talked about this. So I would keep in mind that even if you're repurposing content, it doesn't mean you have to repurpose the full content. You could figure out what is going to be the best sort of YouTube version of this. And the other recommendation I would have is when you do that, embed the YouTube videos in the articles that they're inspired by. Again, I'm not a search expert. It's it's helpful for search. And also people that find it might go, oh, instead of reading this, I'm just going to watch this video.
1: Yeah. One article where I've done that, and it's funny, in Google Search Console, you get something positive. I don't understand it. Yeah. But, but the,
0: they, they like people, when you do that. But they
1: like when you do that.
0: All right. So let's get to your second question. What's the next thing you want to know?
1: So I currently email my list once a week. So over 52 weeks, they get 52 emails on Wednesdays. There's a seasonal aspect to when I sell. It's basically May and June is a launch. Mm -hmm. And I know people don't like launches. They work for me. We don't have to Mm -hmm. go over that. Then November and December is a launch. And so leading up to those, probably for eight or 10 weeks, they get Sunday and Wednesday. And then I resend to unopens. So that's why I've been doing. I love getting your newsletter that's short one sentence Mm -hmm. every day. And I'd just love to know like the positives and the negatives on that. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's, it's not a one to one what you do and what I do yeah. because there aren't like useful things that I could link to every day. It, yeah. It's more of a question of what do you think of three times, two times a week all year long, and mm-hmm. then maybe three times a week going into these launches.
0: So let me uh, let me start by asking you a couple questions. So one is: Are people getting a sequence, or they're all getting the same? They're all getting the same email. Yeah. So so finally, I'm
1: repurposing last year's. You and I are speaking in April. Yeah. Like the email that's lined up today is the same email from last year with, with an article and a PDF. So I'm not
0: recreating new stuff. But but every day when it goes out, everyone on your list is getting the same thing, oh, right? Yes. It's not like okay, yes. okay, cool. So. We'll start again sort of zoomed out on a couple sort of basic concepts that I think is, is helpful to understand. So one is your goal is not to have the biggest list. It's to have the most effective list for your goals. So whatever that is. So people all the time, understandably, and I can fall into this as well, right? They're like, I got to get more subscribers. I got to get more subscribers or I'm doing this and I'm losing subscribers or the big fear with sending more frequently is you're going to lose subscribers. And by the way, you will. Because no matter how great your your email is, every time you send an email, a certain percentage of people are gonna unsubscribe. So one of the things I have learned after a couple of years ago shifting from a weekly newsletter to a daily newsletter is people love it, but every day I lose that same percentage of subscribers. Which means from an overall standpoint, it's much harder to grow when you're sending more frequently because you need to add more in order to make up for the ones that you're losing, even with a great newsletter. So, I have about 33,000 subscribers. I send every day, and I probably get roughly 40 to 60 unsubscribes a day, which is not bad. If you send 33,000 people and 50 people unsubscribe, like that's a good newsletter. But it also means that if I send six times a week and 50 people unsubscribe, I'm losing 300 subscribers a week with a great successful newsletter so even to break even even to stay at thirty-three thousand, i need to add 300 new subscribers a week just to make up for the churn even though it's a low churn now in my mindset if you go into it with the mindset of like that's okay i'm not trying to just get the biggest list that i can obviously you don't want it to be completely shrinking but as long as like those numbers are wind up roughly, you know, where I want them, and I feel like the list is good. The advantage of sending more frequently, the advantage of those unsubscribes, is you run off the people that don't really care. So I might lose three hundred people a week, but I'm not losing three hundred people that were going to be customers or that really like the thing. The people that stay really like the thing.
1: Yeah, and and I, what I'm seeing from a sales standpoint is the is being reminded that OE oh, has this thing, like. Mm-hmm. I mean you would know this number, but that we have to be reminded before we purchase something, it's it's a big number. Yeah. Ten, twelve, thirteen, yeah. something prior to getting your advice, I'm leaning towards emailing more often and then embarrassingly somebody who looks at the unsubscribes and feels bad about myself. Everybody does.
0: It doesn't feel great, but I think you have to remember it doesn't mean the newsletter is not good. Look, we always look at, like I'll look at a thing and be like thousands of people click this link in my newsletter, but 50 people unsubscribed. And you're like that 50 people feels much worse than the, than the thousands of people, whatever. But you, you need to keep in mind that it doesn't mean the newsletter is not good. It just means it's not for them. And that the people that you're losing, you know, actually losing anything because it wasn't for them. They weren't going to buy. You're not losing the people that are like, oh, this is the perfect person that it's for. And when they're like, "Ah, I'm out of here. The other thing to keep in mind is that growth and retention are two very different things. People lump them together. So growth is about how are you getting new people to discover you and find you and connect and subscribe and all of that stuff. Retention is, are the people that are subscribed sticking around? So when I look at at my newsletter from a retention standpoint, yeah, it doesn't feel good to have 50 people unsubscribe when I send an email, but that's 50 out of 33,000. Yeah. So my retention is actually pretty good even though I'm losing 300 people a week. If I'm not growing, so if my retention is okay, like and to put it in your terms, if you're emailing people and you're always gonna get some unsubscribes, but if you feel like the retention is actually pretty good, but your newsletter's not growing or even it's shrinking, if the retention's not bad, it's a growth issue.
1: Yeah, yeah. And this is great. We haven't put exact numbers on it, but people like to hear about work workouts. <clears throat> and mm-hmm. I try and work pretty hard on my subject line. I only had one unsubscribe, no, two unsubscribes last week to 8,000 people. Most weeks it's eight to 10. I think, you know, everything you're saying I've heard, it's it's interesting in this conversation how I need to hear the same thing again to realize like, the people on subscribing were never going to purchase a course. Yeah. A course is how I make a living, like mm-hmm. all this yeah. basic stuff.
0: And this is the other part. So talk to me about how are you getting new subscribers? Where are they coming from? Why are they subscribing? That part of it, where is yeah. that coming from?
1: And this is why I wanted to go SEO and go harder on YouTube is that right now it's Twitter. And it's Twitter just going to, I don't want to say stole, I copied from Jeff Spector this idea. Yeah. Of a if you, if you were to go to my my header, it's got like a arrow to coach straight mm-hmm. box, so it's really easy to get on my okay. to get on my email list. I don't like Twitter, but I just need to tweet. I the things I tweet in my mind, it's almost like they aren't the most useful thing I can share with a coach. Mm-hmm. But I I've had pretty much down as to what gets retweeted, what gets liked, and it revs revs the engine. This isn't one of my official questions, but I seem like I'm getting penalized for linking to the article sometimes. Mm -hmm. But that does seem to lead to people opting in. But the bottom line is it's really only Twitter. And I'm worried that I've tapped that out over the last six months or so. Right.
0: But let me ask you a question. So when they click, they're going, they're landing on your homepage, I assume. Oh, Josh, this is, I I mean, this is a mess. I
1: wasn't clear on who's my audience. Is it adult Mm -hmm. runners, adult marathoners? Is at high school coaches, and I'm going to make coachjjohnson.com just high school. So I still okay. have to date that on my site.
0: But so, so for example, if they land, are they right now driving to your homepage or to yeah. specific? So, okay. So if they go to your homepage and I'm looking at it, I'm looking at it right now. So they land on a page and the headline says, I help high school and adult runners, coaches, and parents. How can I help you? Then it says, get a must-have warm-up video plus my best post-run strength and mobility videos on your phone. Select at least one type of email you want to receive and then they can check sort of if they're high school coaches or adult marathoners or whatever they are and enter and sign up. So here's the first thing to understand. And you want to you go through whatever your process is, right? Whatever your sort of onboarding process is or sign-up process. You want to think about how are people getting here and what are they signing up for? What they're signing up for is not a newsletter. They're signing up for warm-up videos, my best run strength and mobility videos. And I'm guessing, I don't know, but I assume you share those in your newsletter or whatever. But as far as they know, they're, they're giving you an email, They're gonna, and I assume they're then getting your, your welcome email or whatever sends them the video, whatever. So one of the important things to understand is, the people, forget the number of people you're signing up, but the people that are signing up are not necessarily signing up for the newsletter. They're signing up to get these videos. They get these videos and then you're sending them a newsletter two or three times a week. Maybe they want that, maybe they don't. So from a retention standpoint, one of the things that may be hurting your retention is this is, and this gets into lead magnets, right? And as I'm not a huge fan of lead magnets and we'll talk about that, they can be very effective. I like lead magnets if it's not for an ongoing newsletter. So this is where I get into the difference between email marketing and newsletter. So if you're running a lead magnet because you're like, I wanna get people on this, I'm gonna send them maybe one or two emails, and I'm gonna push them to a sale. Great, lead magnets work, that's all you care about. Oh, if you're using lead magnets to the idea to grow a newsletter, which is an ongoing thing, the thing that I don't like about it is there's a disconnect there. They have not signed up, they don't, they're not saying I'd like to hear from you every week or a couple times a week or whatever. They're saying I want whatever you're giving me in the lead magnet. So I think lead magnets often create fool's gold because you get all these signups, but if you don't actually go back and look and go, how did the people in the lead magnet perform? A lot of them bail or they don't open or they or they whatever. And that's because what they sign up for isn't exactly what the thing is. Yes, you're giving them the lead magnet, but they just wanted that. They didn't really want the ongoing thing. So that's something that you might want to think about and or test. You could, you could do a month where you shift, instead of the lead magnet, you're literally driving them to a newsletter signup page. Do that for a month and maybe you'll get fewer subscribers, maybe you'll get more subscribers. But let's just do this as a hypothetical, right? Say you did that for a month and you look at the end of the month and you added, just keep it mass simple, you added 100 subscribers. And a month later, you go, of those 100 subscribers who signed up for the newsletter, 60 of them are still subscribed and opening. And then you do a month where you test the lead magnet and you get 100 subscribers. And of those subscribers, 30 of them are still around you can go a step further and go, but of those 30, 15 of them bought my course. And then of the newsletter ones of the 60, five of them bought my course. Again, you can optimize for your end goals. So you might go, yeah, the lead magnet gets me fewer subscribers, but more buyers. And that's ultimately what I want. Or it could go the other way, but but without sort of testing that, that's a very easy test to run. It might take you two months because you, maybe you do one sure. month of one and one month of the other. But you would come out of it with a lot of knowledge about what actually happens when people sign up for the lead magnet versus people sign up for the newsletter and what is ultimately better for you. Because otherwise, no matter what I say, we're just guessing.
1: Well, right. and I just haven't done that. I'm going to have a lead magnet for the course in June that's basically mm-hmm. a mini course that's the exact stuff you'll learn in the mm-hmm. course for free but mm-hmm. then I've got some testimonials where some some coaches people respect say, hey, I get, I get his his, mm-hmm. his weekly newsletter and I like it and so I'm, what I'm going to take from this is I'm going to do both yeah. and, and probably do the lead magnet in the articles. The mm-hmm. idea is you took the time to read the article and you're somebody who's going to invest. I mean, I'll, I'll yeah. test it too.
0: Yeah, and the other thing you could do too is you could do the lead magnet gets them and you send them some sort of automated sequence that leads to the purchase. And then you go, hey, I also have this newsletter, almost like they're opting in, right? So the lead magnet drives them into the thing. And then you say, I also have this free newsletter. Every week I'm sharing new stuff. Would you like to keep getting it? Click this link or by then you have their email address. So you could filter out Or you could keep doing what you do, but just be aware that some of what may be hurting your overall numbers is the thing you're giving them is not necessarily the thing they're signing up for. And so that can be tricky. It can work against you in some ways. But again, with all this, there's no right or wrong. But I do think it's helpful to run some tests because it will then tell you what is actually working, what is actually happening, and and all of that kind of stuff. Cool. So let's get to your third question. What is the last thing you want to know?
1: Yeah, the last question over the next I don't know, six months to nine months, I'll try and serve adult marathoners with a different brand, different website, mm-hmm. but within Coach Jay Johnson, which is high school kids. And it'll, now we'll broaden it to high school parents and help them with the college recruiting process mm-hmm. with like a minimal viable product kind of lens. I've got about 2,000 marathoners mm-hmm. and about 2,000 parents part of this list in different ways. Mm -hmm. I don't know how to survey them and I don't know what questions I should be asking to figure out who I should do first. And then the final thing is the marathon one in terms of an MVP is really easy. I I have Mm -hmm. a book for marathoners. Like I can take that book and make it a course literally in like two weeks. The Mm -hmm. other one, I used to be a a recruiting coordinator at the the visual level, but there's a lot of re-education I would have
0: to do. So that one's Mm -hmm. gonna take a while. So a few different thoughts here. Well, the first is you don't have to survey them. You can also look at what they're clicking. And this goes back to reformatting the newsletter. So for example, if you write an article about the first five things you need to do to be recruited, making this up, right? Whatever would very much align with that. And then you can look and go, who clicked that article? Because everyone that clicked that article, if, they, if they're they at least showing, hey, I'm interested in trying to figure out how to get recruited. You could then, if you wanted, forget a survey. I'm going to talk about surveys in a second, but you can do a survey, but even without a survey, because a survey depends on people replying to the survey, which is a whole other thing, which we'll get into. But with just that, you now have a list of people on your list who by clicking that, no one's reading that article if they're not interested. So now you have a lead list. So number one, you can gauge how interested people are in Number two, you literally have a list of email addresses that were interested in that. One of the biggest missed opportunities that I think people don't do with their newsletters is understanding that you can use content get people to raise their hand without realizing they're raising their hand. And what's crazy about this is when I asked the coaches, "What are some things I can prepare?
1: I can make for you?" One of them was going to be mm-hmm. a college recruiting guide that then the coach puts on their team website. And I, but I didn't think about this. Like if I just share that link for the parents, hey, I created this,
0: mm-hmm. I'm- and and so. The other thing is you can get creative, and especially if you do it over a series of issues or over whatever with with sort of different links and different types of content. Like I said, that example of like the first five things you should do if you wanna get recruited, and then the next time maybe you do some article about if you're recruited by multiple schools, how to decide where to go. And you notice that one article was clicked by 100 people and one article was clicked by 20 people. That's telling you something that can influence ultimately your product and your messaging. The other thing you could do is in your newsletter, you could, aside from a survey, you could just have a question and say, hey, I wanna do a Q&A about college recruiting send me whatever questions you have about college recruiting. They don't know you're creating a product, but they're basically telling you what should be in the product. So using that sort of interactive point to gauge interest can be way more effective than a survey because the thing with the survey is you have to keep in mind Number one, it's hard to get people to answer surveys. If you're going to do it, try to give them some incentive. If you can, you'll get a free this, you'll do a giveaway, whatever. No matter what, even with the most engaged audience, the results of the survey are not reflective of, the, of your audience. They're reflective of the portion of your audience that answered the survey. And that's the reason why I like link clicks much more than surveys, because you're going to get people to click a link about a recruiting thing that never would have responded to your survey. Yeah. Because they're just not the kind of people that respond to surveys, and they're not going to take the time to do that. So That's important to keep in mind that even when you do surveys for anything, what you're getting is relevant and valuable, but it's also only reflective of a certain portion of people, and that can skew you multiple ways. You can go, I don't understand, Like 90% of people said they'd pay for this thing. Yeah, but that was only the 90% of the 5% that answered the survey. And by the way, just as a side note, I was having a conversation with ConvertKit who for their sponsor network, they do surveys of, you know, they want people to survey their audience so they can get basic demographic information. And they basically said, if you can get 5% of people to respond to the survey, that's like a home run. Oh, wow. So, so the expectations are, are low. Now, if you are gonna do a survey, you are gonna ask some people, and by the way, you could you could link these together, right? So potentially, you could write an article about the first five things to do if you want to get recruited. And then as opposed to trying to survey your whole audience, just email the people that click that link and say, hey, I'm working on a recruiting product. I want to make it as valuable as possible. Would you take a minute to answer these few questions about recruiting? And that's going to get you much more, a higher percentage of people will respond to it. It's a thing they're interested in. And it's probably going to be much more relevant to you than going to your whole audience, which if they didn't click a link about a recruiting article, they probably don't care anyway. As far as survey questions go, I highly recommend open-ended questions as opposed to multiple choice. Because if you ask open-ended questions, you can see the actual language and words that your audience uses, and then use that in your messaging and sales copy. You can literally speak their language. If you go multiple choice, you can learn stuff and there's value to it, but you're basically forcing them to choose what based on your own assumptions. It's much better to sort of get open-ended stuff. But as opposed to thinking of a survey as a way to figure out who's ready to buy, I think the main goal of a survey for something like this would be to help clarify your messaging, make sure what you're going to sell resonates with. And people do this all the time, right? Hey, if I did this course about blah, 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 would you want to buy it? How much would you want to pay for it? And it's like, so things like what one word in a sentence describe how you feel about the. So they don't, you don't need novels for them. It forces them to sort of condense their, their thinking. And for you, again, that stuff you can easily turn into messaging and sales, whatever. If you notice multiple people say overwhelmed, then the first line of your copy might be feeling overwhelmed about the recruiting process. I just told you they are. It's a cheat code. Another one. What do you find the most confusing part about recruiting? Tying into the emo- the underlying emotions. If you ask people, what do you want to learn about recruiting? Which can be helpful, right? But they might go, oh, how to, how to get in touch with coaches and how to whatever, blah, 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 blah. But what do you find the most confusing part is gonna get them into an emotional state. I have no idea how to figure out this, that, or the other, which again is gonna inform both your product and your messaging. The third question you could use, what's your biggest struggle when it comes to recruiting? This is the pain point part. I don't know how to do this, that. This is really getting at what is the solution that they want the most, which gets you out of the sort of general, here's a recruiting course. Here's a recruiting course that's gonna help you do these specific things. You're always trying to get specific and you're using your audience to tell you what those specific things are. And then the last one you could do is something like, what are you currently doing to accomplish X or what are you currently doing to try to get recruited? And that will tell you something about where, as far as like ready to buy, where your audience is at. Are, are most people saying, I'm not doing anything because I don't know what to do? Or are they saying, I'm sending letters to all these schools and I'm not getting responses? I'm... So then you go, oh, well, part of the course is going to be how to write letters that get responses. Like you're really reverse engineering and that stuff's going to be way more valuable than do you want to buy? Because the truth of the matter is, if you're creating and packaging and messaging a product specifically tailored to the things they've told you, then they're going to want to buy. I mean, Josh, this is, when you talk about a cheat code, I mean, I'm somebody who's
1: working hard to get better at copywriting because mm-hmm. I I think to a degree I should be the best copywriter for my stuff and my mm-hmm. audience. Yep. But man, I never thought of like these ways to and for my in-person conference, I'm always doing a survey, and so I'm I'm used to saying giving open-ended things because I, yeah. I want them to use their words, but. This idea that they would fill something in and use that in the copy is just brilliant.
0: The other thing you can do, and I'm talking about sort of surveying multiple people, but you can also have individual conversations. You can identify one person that you're like, this is my target audience and let me talk to them, ask them some of these questions hop on a Zoom or, or whatever and sort of see what they, you know, the key is to sort of not lead them and just let them talk about what the, the issue is. The other suggestion I'll give you, I've talked about this in a previous podcast as well, but going to Amazon reviews of related books and seeing what people say in the comments is another way to see how people are oh I loved how this book told me how to do X Y and Z or this book sucked because it didn't even tell me how to solve this problem that can be a cheat code as well so there you go you're on you're on your way you don't need to find buyers you need to find what people want to solve Josh this is this is amazing
1: man I love listening to the YouTube ones, but being on it is a gift, man. This is awesome.
0: Cool. Thank you. And hopefully, like I said, I know lots of other people have similar questions to yours. So hopefully they thank you for asking them because they, they're going to get value out of it as well. So let's, uh, as we wrap up here, tell people again where they can find you, where they can get all their stuff, all of that. Yeah, it's Coach Jay Johnson.
1: It's, it's spelled out J A Y, And then it's. Coach Jay Johnson, all social, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, even TikTok if it's around when this thing comes out.
0: <laughs> yeah. I don't think it's going anywhere that soon, but we'll see. Yeah. For me, again, my newsletter, for interested.com slash subscribe. I'm on Twitter all the time, at Jay Spector. If you would like to come on and ask me three questions, just go to joshspector.com slash questions and you can submit them. And hopefully I will be on here giving you answers one of these days. Jay, thanks again for coming on. I appreciate it. And to everybody else, I will hopefully see you or you'll see me next week. Thanks again.